All right, if you've got your Bible, you can turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. We've got two more weeks in this very long series through First uh, and Second Peter. We kicked it off in January, the first Sunday in January, and uh, by next week we will be closing it up. So I hope that you understand First and Second Peter a lot more. Um, we may have could have gone deeper, but um, we went as we went fairly deep in it. So Second um, Peter chapter three, uh, we'll be going through verses one through thirteen. If you want to turn there, while you're turning there, if you've got your YouVersion Bible app, um, I'm in the CSB. Uh, it'll be on the screen and in your outline as well. But I also want to make mention, we've got several people in the church, and I know I will forget someone if I start mentioning names um, who are sick, several with cancer. Um, I know Rebecca Heath um, is, is sick. We've got the Ellises, both um, Kathy and Charles that we want to be praying for, Ms. Pat Hayes. Um, but also yesterday, um, uh, John Turner texted me, and he also put online that Katrina had a stroke on Friday night or between Friday night and Saturday morning. And so they're doing some tests with her. Um, and so it's, uh, we, we want to be praying for her um, because uh, while she's in good spirits and some things are looking good, some things are looking challenging. And so anyway, I, I know there are several people in our church who are facing illness and sickness and treatment and things like that. So let's just as a church be mindful of each of those people, um, be praying for them and then others that you know of that I did not mention today. Um, and if there's someone you know of that I don't, that you, you want to make sure I know of, please let me know so we can check on them and care for them uh, the best way that we can. So 2 Peter chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 1 and 2 to um, get us kicked off. And this is what Peter says. He says, Dear friends, this is now the second letter I have written to you. In both letters, I want to stir up your sincere understanding by way of a reminder so that you will recall the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the commands of our Lord and Savior given through the apostles. And so here, Peter is telling us that he had a specific purpose or specific purposes for why he wrote both First and Second Peter. He tells us first that he wanted to stir up or to, um, what, another meaning for that word would be to stimulate their thinking so that they will understand the truth. So, so when we think of why would First and Second Peter be written, why would this even be necessary to be given to the people? It, and we, we've talked about there are transferable truths here. There are truths that transcend time. And so it's not just for um, these Christians, although there were some specific things that they were dealing with and that they were going through. And so there's certain aspects of what was written here that would be different in application than for us but then there are going to be similar things that we deal with and that we, we face as Christians. And so there are transferable truths here that Peter wrote not only to the Christians for their specific um, experiences, but also that he knew would um, be used and would be inspiring and would guide us as Christians even in the modern day. Um, in fact, he says that he also wanted to help Christians to remember the teachings of the Old Testament prophets, um, those prophets who God used to send and to speak his message, but also the commands that our Lord and Savior, Jesus, had given to the apostles to teach. In fact, in the first century church, um, they met in homes, Acts, Acts chapter 2 tells us, daily, and what they taught and what they learned from was the apostles' teachings. And of course, those apostles' teachings were rooted 
in um, the truth of, um, from God and the truth of the Scriptures from the Old Testament and the things that Jesus had taught. And so his purpose in First and Second Peter, maybe you're fairly new with us and you haven't been here for the past 29 weeks, and so you're like, hey, I'm kind of getting on the tail end of this. I would encourage you to go back and read it and to study it. Why? Because there's a purpose behind it. That purpose is that you will be stirred up in your understanding of the truth, that it will stimulate you to know God's Word, to know what is true, but also to know what was taught by even the Old Testament prophets, because there's a lot of correlation there. There's a lot of things in even First and Second Peter that point back to things in the Old Testament. And so whether Christians from the first century or even our modern day face the things that we've seen in these letters, persecution, suffering, corrupt teachers, or even the cultural pressures to sin, or the cultural acceptance of sin, because that's what we saw with the corrupt and false teachers, that they were promoting this sensuality, they were promoting this kind of um, uh, openness to certain sins to say that it's okay, to say that you're covered by the grace of God. We saw that in even Jude and pointing to that. And, and so even if we face those things in our modern day, just as they faced in the first century, then the help that we all need to respond to those things, not only in a God-honoring way and, and in a way that will glorify Him, but also the hope that we seek in that suffering the hope that we seek in that struggle and in that persecution, in that difficulty, everything that we need as followers of Jesus is found in the Old Testament through the New Testament in God's Word. In fact, if we as followers of Jesus, and if you're a follower of Jesus, then this is true of you, then you possess the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that, um, that when we come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us, to live within us, and so if we as followers of Jesus have both the, the Holy Spirit living within us and we have the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament, that is everything that we need to guide our lives and to point us in a direction that will honor and glorify God. In, in the suffering, in the persecution, in the, in the death, in the, um, the, the pressures to cave to societal, societal norms, all of those things, when we look for answers, when we need help, when we need hope, everything is in God's Word for us. There's nothing that you will face. There's no pressure that you'll experience that you cannot find an answer to and a solution to in the Scripture. As well, you have the Holy Spirit to guide you, to direct you, to, to convict you, to help you, the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus said He would send one to help us, and that is the Holy Spirit. So verses Three and four go on and says, above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, where is his coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. If you have an outline or a notebook, you can write this down. Christians should expect mockery and ridicule for their faith. This one's not on the screen um, I added it last night. Christians should expect mockery and ridicule for their faith. Christians should expect mockery and ridicule for their faith. Peter says, above all. What he's saying here is the most important thing that I want to send you away with, 
The most important thing as I close out this letter, I've now given you two letters. It's been with a purpose. It's had intention behind it. But above all, the very thing that I want you to take away with you after both of these letters, as I close this letter out, is this. This is the most important thing. There will be scoffers in the last days who are following their evil desires. There will be scoffers who scoff. I kind of find that wording funny because if you're a scoffer, you scoff. But that word scoffer means this, a person who mocks or makes fun of someone or something often of religious or moral values. And so what Peter here is saying, there are going to be people who mock you and ridicule you. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to laugh at you um, for being a Christian. So, So I just want you to know that. I want you to know as I close out this letter, after all the things that I've written to you, and it's almost as if for us as modern days, like we can look back and we can see what the first century church went through. We can see what these Christians experienced and what they went through. And it's almost like, uh, oh yeah, you too. It's almost like we can look at this as we get to the end of the letter. And it's like in the end days, as as the time comes to an end, there are going to be people who are going to mock you who are going to persecute you, who are going to laugh at you, who are going to say that you're outdated and you're bigoted and you're hateful and you're this and you're that and you're everything else to mock you and to ridicule you, to scoff at you. And And some Christians, sadly, are people pleasers. I mean, you know you are. And and that's okay if you know that you struggle with those things to to not let it be a crutch or not to let it be an excuse. But there are sadly some Christians who are people pleasers and they're pressured by the need to have people's approval. So they're silenced from speaking the truth or they're swayed from standing on the truth or living their life by the truth out of fear that they'll be mocked, out of fear that they'll be rejected out of fear that they'll be laughed at or ridiculed by these scoffers. See, see, we know that there are scoffers in our day or mockers. That's probably a closer, more modern term because it means the same thing. We know there are people who will make fun of us. We know there are people who will call us names, who who will try to um, ostracize us in front of other people. And, And yet we have that struggle and that tension that we have to manage and that we have to work through that are we going to be okay to be mocked and to be laughed at? Are we so worried about that person's opinion of us and what they say about us that we won't stand on the truth or we won't speak up for the truth or we'll be swayed from living by the truth? Paul answers this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. For, he says, For am I now trying to persuade people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And here's the reality for every one of us. There will be times that your commitment to Jesus will put you at odds with other people. There are times that to serve Jesus, to live for his glory, to live for his honor, to to worship him in spirit and in truth, to not be conformed to the, the, the ways of the world, that, that to do that and to do that faithfully and to do that consistently, it's going to put you at odds with other people, even friends and family. Jesus even said that he didn't come to bring peace, but he came to bring a sword. Not meaning that he came to just bring conflict and strife to people and to just create violence and chaos, but what he was saying there, because he said he would divide even family members 
And what he means there is for you to embrace Jesus and for you to follow after him, for you to um, uh, live by the truth and to live by the gospel, it is going to divide. It's going to divide you from people who um, essentially will, will um, essentially consider their family members dead to them if they embrace Christ. We see that in foreign countries and other religions where um, if, if someone trusts Christ, there, there are some different uh, national, you know, uh, I just drew a blank, but groups of people who will literally have a funeral for their family member because they're dead to them. And so even Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to live by my commands, if you're going to follow my instructions, if I'm going to be king, it's going to divide you from other people. It's going to cause conflict. You're not going to win people's approval. And so the last days began when Jesus' death and resurrection, we are in the last days, we've been in the last days but we've entered this portion of the last days that is somewhat different than even after Jesus's death and his resurrection. Though that was the last days, and though we see some of the same things, we see the mockery, we see the, the scoffing, we, we see those similar things, we see the persecution. I mean, I, mean, I don't uh, see in America some of the things we even see in foreign countries where they're being hunted down and they're being uh, killed and crucified for being Christians, but we see that with Nero. Nero burning people um, alive and killing them, crucifying them, because they were followers of Jesus. And so these things still happen, but what we see in our culture as Americans is this shift and this change that we've not been used to. We're seeing a worldwide push, not just national, but worldwide push for unnatural sins to be accepted and to be um, considered as normal, to be considered as, as if it was natural in and of itself. But then there's this push, and you see it in Canada, and you see it on our borders, where people who oppose that because of their faith or because of their values, there's this push now to punish them and to um, criminalize them if they don't comply. We see a worldwide shift towards global governmental control of free individuals so that they can dictate this conforming to a secular worldview, because it takes ultimate power. It takes, that, that's why um, communist countries do not allow their people to worship God, to have any other ruler or king. Why? Because they want to be sovereign. They want to be ruler. And so there's this global push towards this governing system that will make you conform no matter where you reside, no matter where you are uh, a citizen. There's a global falling away from Christianity and the church. I mean, statistics for years have shown a decline, a slight decline, but even more so in this generation. There are more people than at any other time who uh, claim to be a nun when it comes to faith and religion. We see this global falling away. It is a different time, though we see some of the same things from even history. We see an increase in the mockery of Christians and Christianity. It's all through TV shows, movies, late night comedy. They, they make it normal. In fact, Rick Warren said several years ago that um, one of the disarming things that Satan uses is comedy. 
Because if he can get you to laugh at something, it disarms you from taking it serious. So if we can laugh at Christians, if we can laugh at sin, if we can laugh at these things that are very serious to God, suddenly, maybe not immediately, but in time, there will be a deterioration of the seriousness of that matter because we think it's funny. We see comedy. You can turn on Netflix, you can turn on HBO Max, you can turn on all these streaming channels, and there are these shows that are mocking pastors, mocking churches, mocking Christians, and making it a comedy. We see this deterioration. We see this falling away. We see this scoffing and this mocking that is becoming more common and more prevalent. So there's always been this, but we're seeing that it's becoming more consistent and more accessible for people, especially the lost, who are persuaded, unlike Christians, to look at Christians and to look at Christianity and be like, I, won't, I don't want anything about, to do with that. That's hateful. That, that, I don't take that serious. You believe this. You believe these miracles. You believe these things. And so it's really not for Christians. It's really not to deteriorate away from the church. It's really to prevent people from looking at Christianity in a serious matter. And so scoffers will use accusations, Peter says, like this, as they did in his day. Where is his coming that he promised Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. Really, this kind of mockery illustrates and highlights it's rooted in people's narcissism and self-centeredness, as if God's calendar works on their schedule and for their purposes. Like, they're saying, I mean, since the beginning of time, since our ancestors, the things have continued on. Why haven't we seen this? You know, you know, I want to see these things happen in my day. These things should have already happened so that, you know, I could believe these things. But the, the amazing thing is there's plenty of historical evidence of Jesus's ancient um, and, and biblical history, Jesus's death, burial, resurrection, his life on earth. There's biblical artifacts. There, there are um, things that they're continuously finding, scriptures, um, you name it. There, there, there are things that point to scripture over and over and over again. And so what people have to do is they have to continue to move the goalposts. And when you can prove that Jesus was alive and that he was a real person, well, then he was just a prophet. Well, then he was just a teacher. So some will say, well, Jesus never existed. You proved Jesus existed. Well, now i got to move the goalposts because now if he existed, he must have been this or he must have been that, but he really wasn't the son of God. And yet we have all of this historical evidence. We have all of these prophecies fulfilled, and yet we ignore them. There's evidence of a world intimately made by a divine creator. I mean, there's no way that you can logically explain away how we are made how we are intrinsically made, how we have been woven together. If you've ever studied the human body, there's no way you can study the human body and go, man, we just, bam, it just happened. We just evolved life out of nothing. There is no way you can logically do that. There's no way that you can logically look at the solar system, that you can look at where earth is strategically placed. The only planet to possess and to be able to sustain human life and go, you know what? That just happened out of nothing. There is no way, but there's plenty of evidence towards these things. There's evidence of a world destroyed and rearranged by a great flood. Um, in fact, there was a, a, a documentary that showed in the theaters 
couple of years ago. It was phenomenally done. If you go to the Grand Canyon and you see how it's shaped and the, the sediment and all these things, it points to a, a, a worldwide flood, but the way that it was quickly um, you know, formed and shaped and all these things. You cannot logically look at these things and go, this just happened because of a meteorite, or this just happened because of, you know, over millions of years. There is no way logically. We have plenty of evidence, evidences of Jesus's life and his resurrection. And Peter said these things are deliberately ignored. I mean, there are books, there are apologetic books that will point out the, the prophecies that have been fulfilled and the, just how rare that would be, how impossible that would be, and yet they are fulfilled in Jesus. And there's historical evidence of that. There's proof of that. Not written by one person, but written by multiple authors over thousands of years that point to Jesus and Him fulfilling those prophecies. And yet Peter says that these things are deliberately ignored for the one thing that hasn't happened yet. Well, Jesus hasn't returned yet. So he says there will be scoffers and there will be people who will mock because Jesus hasn't returned yet. The, the one thing that hasn't happened yet, but thousands of fulfilled prophecies, but they mock the final one that will actually be the most devastating for the very mocker who mocks it. In fact, he goes on in verse 7 to 9, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay His promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. You can write this down. God's delay in Jesus' return is mercy to the unbeliever. Jesus' delay in God's delay in Jesus' return is mercy to the unbeliever. Growing up in church, I've heard various different uh, views on Jesus' return and what's known as the rapture. And then there are many variations within the main three or four different major views. Um, here is one thing I want you to know because I grew up in an environment and in a, in a, in a kind of a group of Christianity that um, they would tell you flat out that you are not a Christian if you don't believe like we do, even on Jesus' return. Um, your view on Jesus' return does not have any effect on your salvation. It does not have any effect on your approval or acceptance uh, of God uh, by God. Um, it is not a primary issue. Um, it is in some ways a confusing issue. Once again, there are multiple different views. Um, it's, it's important in some ways because it helps determine the way that we live our lives. But at the end of the day, it's not a primary issue. It's not something to uh, split fellowship on. But there is one particular view, um, which is the most modern um, in its founding, but also fairly widely embraced called the pre-tribulation rapture, which teaches that essentially Christians will be raptured, taken up to heaven before the revealing of the Antichrist, who is supposed to have a one world global uh, rule. I believe that Americans are going to see um, more of the troubles that we see in Scripture, some of those unfavorable times before we just get raptured out. 
Um, and the reason why is because it's happening worldwide. We've been protected. We've been kind of cushioned from those things. But if you even look in the Bible, in, the, in Revelations, at the seven seals, in Revelations chapter 6, everything negative that happens uh, through the first six seals, you can just look at the world around us and go, man, that's already happening. We're already seeing those things may not necessarily be happening in the United States, although now we're starting to see some of those things because of all this worldwide push on certain things. Um, the, you know, uh, there, there are many things we're starting to see now, but we can look around the world for a, for a while now and go, man, that stuff's already happening. Now, it might increase and it might get worse, but, but those things are already happening. The problem is Americans love comfort and we love um, our convenience. We love our safety. And that's why so many Americans are often attracted to an escapism kind of theology, an escapism kind of belief. It doesn't matter that millions of Christians are persecuted, imprisoned, and murdered around the world. If it were to start happening and start to be threatening to America, it must be time for Jesus' return. Or it doesn't matter that famine and pestilence and disease have ravished other parts of the world. As soon as COVID hits, then, man, Jesus must be coming any day now. Because we look at things through this scope that, like, if it happens in America, I think we just lose focus on the rest of the world because we're not there. We don't see it. But if we just do some research, we'll see these things happen on a consistent basis. And the Bible doesn't say it's just going to be like for a month. I mean, it could be years. It could, it could, be, it could ongo be ongoing for a while. It doesn't say. But I hear Christians say things all the time like, I wish Jesus would just come back. And they're tired of the sickness. They're tired of the heartbreak. They're tired of the pain. And they go, I just wish Jesus would come back. Just take me to heaven. Or I'm ready for Jesus to come back now. I hear it all the time. And I wonder, are you, are you ready for Jesus to return? Are you really ready for Jesus to return and to take you to heaven? Some might say, yes, I'm not. And I don't mean this arrogantly. And I've said this before, even Jesus asked his father to take the cup of suffering. So, so he was like, hey, he knew what was coming as far as the suffering. And he's like, if you can take this away from me, then do. But he still went through the pain. He still went through the suffering. So I understand people wanting to escape the suffering. I understand people wanting to escape the difficult and the very hard times if it's possible. But selfishly, I'm not ready for Jesus to return because I love my family. I enjoy my family. I enjoy life. But most importantly, to hope for Jesus' return is almost spiritually selfish. Because the scripture tells us that... Um, it, once he comes, once we go to heaven, once Jesus returns to take his people, then everyone left behind, there's some really bad stuff. For those that don't know Christ, when they stand before him in an eternal judgment, it's not going to be good for them. They face eternal damnation and torment and suffering because of their sin and their rebellion against God. And so I wonder, are you, so, uh, you know, do you really want Jesus to take you to heaven while your spouse is lost? Or while your family member is lost, while your coworker or your best friend is lost? So I think oftentimes we, we want to escape the suffering and we want to escape the difficulty and we want to escape the hard times. It's just like, man, if Jesus could just come back, I don't have to worry about it. If he could come back before tax time, it would be good. 
If he, maybe you're in college or in high school, and you're like, if he could just return before this exam or before school starts back. Why? Because we know those things aren't always fun and favorable. And sometimes it's humorous, but sometimes it's serious. And I wonder, do you, have you thought about if Jesus were to come back today? Like if these mockers had their way, if these scoffers had their way to where we could point and go, yeah, Jesus returned and he came back just like he was born. I mean, his birth was prophesied for a long time as well. But, but if Jesus came back today and took us to heaven, who would be missing in heaven that you love and that you care for? Are you so worried about the end times that you hope for an escape to avoid suffering while others would be left here to suffer? Even if your escape means that your loved ones will experience separation from God and that eternal torment, is that really our heart? See, once Jesus returns, it's too late. It's too late for those who did not receive him, who did not trust in him. And so God knows that every sinner and every mocker will face an unimaginable suffering and torment once Jesus returns. So it is in his mercy, he is withholding Jesus from returning, that others might hear the gospel and receive it. So, so they mock the very thing that God is doing in their favor. They will scoff at something they don't understand. And yes, it's been delayed. Yes, it's been thousands of years. But he says his delay is not our delay. And yet he is patient because he is merciful. Because he doesn't want your spouse left behind. He says that he wants all to come to repentance. He, he wants you to be active in sharing the gospel with your coworkers and your friends. And it's not his fault if he comes back and they've never heard the gospel. It's not their fault if he returns and they are left behind because he has called us and he has commissioned us as ministers of reconciliation to take the ministry of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation to the world, to the workplace, to the school, to the community, to the places that we live and that we reside, and even those places that we don't through missions and global missionaries. And so while they mock and while they ridicule and while they laugh at things like Jesus not returning, he has not returned because it is his mercy. And what seems like 2,000 years and what might even seem like a long time to you, the Bible tells us on God's calendar is like two days. It's very brief. God is outside of time and space. His schedule is not our schedule. His plan is not our plan. His ways are not our ways. And thank God that it's not because we get tired, we get weary, we, we, we don't want to deal with the suffering, we don't want to deal with the pain, and yet it is through that pain and it is even through that suffering that he might use that as a testimony of his goodness and his faithfulness, that those who do not know him might come to faith in him and might come to trust in him through you because he delayed. Not just the rapture, maybe it's in your healing. Maybe it's in your career. Maybe it's in those things that you're praying that God would do a miracle, and yet he has delayed what seems like a thousand years to you. It's like a day to God. He is patient, but he has a purpose for his delay. Verse 10 goes on and says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it 
will be disclosed. It's not a, it's not a, a, a time that many would look forward to. You write this down, Christians should diligently work because Jesus' return will be sudden. He says the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Christians should diligently work because Jesus' return will be sudden. This should give us hope that God hasn't forgotten us. He's not forgotten about you. He's not forgotten that you're here on the earth and you want to be in heaven. He hasn't forgotten about your pain. He hasn't forgotten about the things you're praying for. He hasn't forgotten about your, your despair. He's not forgotten about you. But his delay is with a great, merciful purpose. But this also should light a fire underneath us to actively be working for the cause of Christ and fulfilling the gospel work that he has called us to do, going into all the world and making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that he has commanded, just as the apostles did, to, to go into the uttermost parts of the world, Jerusalem and Sudea, and, and every other place that he has given you influence, your workplace, school, your community with your neighbor, the sports team, every place that he has given you influence, you are on mission and you should be on mission. You should be a missionary. You don't have to go to Morocco. You don't have to go to Spain. You don't have to go to Baltimore. You don't have to go to uh, around the world. There are people God might call to that. He might call you to that. And, and I would in, in, encourage you to, to step into that and to obediently follow after him. But you don't have to do that. Because when you report to your command on Monday, there are people that you work with and that are beside you at your desk and on the field, wherever you are, that you have called to be a missionary to, that you've been called to be on mission to. Why? Because praise God, he has delayed. Praise God, he's given us another day. Praise God, he's given us another breath. Praise God he hasn't called us to heaven yet because that's one more day and it's one more opportunity and one more moment that we have to share the gospel, but also to live it out. Sometimes you living out the gospel is just as powerful as just saying it. We're called to say it. I'm not saying don't say it, but I'm saying when you say it, when you speak it, when you tell people, you then have to live it. In fact, uh, as many of you know, we had to say goodbye to A.B. and um, his family, he got out of the army and he, uh, they moved up to New York. So we had to say goodbye to them just a couple of weeks ago. But he told me this when we went to dinner before they left. He said um, that he found out that he worked with Phil and, um, or Phil came here because they looked us up online. And so he saw Phil probably doing the welcome and stuff like that. But this is what he said. He, he, the, one of the reasons that he was drawn and his fan, to bring his family to New Passion to, to visit and to stay here once he got here. This is what he said, and I'm not trying to put Phil on a pedestal. I'm giving you a real life example of what someone said as a testimony of why they came here, they stayed here, they worshiped with us here, they served with us here, they prayed on our prayer team for our church. He said that Phil was the same guy at work as he is here at church that there was no difference. And so when Phil comes in 
and he is welcoming people, and he's happy, and he's excited, and he's loving on people, and he's trying to share Jesus with people, and he's trying to represent Jesus here at church. It doesn't end at the doors. He goes to work, and he displays that for the lost to see, for those who don't know Jesus to see. And someone noticed that. Someone picked up on that. And I wonder if the people we're sharing life with in the workplace and in the school and in our community could say the same thing about us. They, they come to church and they see you. They accept your invite to be your guest. Could they really say that you're the same person at church as you are in the community? See, this should spark a fire inside of us, not only to be active in sharing the gospel, but also living it out and being faithful. And you know what? When we get it wrong, owning up to it and, and, and not pretending to be perfect, not pretending to be self-righteous, Jesus' return will be like a thief. While God gives us signs, it'll still be sudden. And so we should not be lulled into a slumber thinking we have another thousand years before Jesus' return. We should never even be lulled to believe there's a day. I believe it's still, there's still some time, and I believe we're still going to see some things, but the signs are pointing to sooner rather than later. It's pointing to more imminent than further down the road. And so now is the time for us to be engaged with the work of the gospel because he is not delaying and he is not in mercy um, holding Christ from returning to get his people and then to one day establish a new heaven and a new earth and to establish his kingdom so that we can be silent and we can be lazy and we can go day by day not sharing the gospel because the whole purpose of his delay is that all would come to repentance and all would come to faith in Jesus. And then the final two verses, 11 to 13 says, since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. The final thing you can write down is this. Jesus' return is to purify and make things right. Jesus' return is to purify and make things right. He told us three things real quick here. Number one, God demands purity, not only of his creation, but also of his people. He says the way these things are going to be dissolved, I mean, it makes clear what kind of people he wants us to be, how he wants us to conduct and live our lives. This is what he says, since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness. We are to strive for holiness and godliness in all of our conduct. He makes that clear in the way that he will make all things holy and righteous once again. And then the second thing is this, God will destroy the old sinful world with fire. Fire purifies. And then the third thing is that God promised his people new, a new heaven and a new earth, new heavens and a new earth that will be full of righteousness. That means this sinful, broken, and miserable world will be gone. 
and we'll enjoy the joy and the fullness of God's presence for eternity. That's our hope. Our hope is not the broken, sinful, miserable world. Our hope is rooted in and built in the fact that God has made you a promise. He's going to send Jesus to get us. He's going to create new heavens and a new earth where we can live in peace without pain, without tears, without sin. And so no matter how hard it gets, just remember and cling to God's promises. He has fulfilled all of his promise throughout history, throughout all of scripture, that it's going to get better. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through. Today, maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Today, maybe you're going through some very difficult things. I believe there's an application here for every one of us. I, I never want to get into fearing people into making a decision for Christ because he is going to return and it's not going to be favorable for the people who are left here. But maybe today the Holy Spirit spoke to you that that delay is for you. That that delay that God has withheld Christ from returning is so that you can hear the message of the gospel that he loves you and that he is merciful towards you, that he wants a relationship with you so much so that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, to die on the cross to pay the payment of your sins. He didn't bring you to church so you would learn that you've got to do a bunch of religious stuff to make payment and, uh, for your sins and to make amends to God for your sins. No, Jesus did that for you. So that you, all you have to do is place your trust and your faith in him and him alone for your salvation. He, he died, he rose to new life so that you too can have a brand new life, not just in heaven, but here on earth. Sure, you're still going to struggle. Sure, you're still going to sin. But you'll have the peace, the everlasting peace of the Holy Spirit living within you. The everlasting peace of the hope of a coming new heavens and new earth where all of this will be wiped away. And so today, maybe the next step for you is to trust in Christ for your salvation, to, to embrace this gospel so that you too might be made new and you too could be a son and a daughter of God. And so as I pray in just a moment, right where you're at, there's no magic prayer to pray. Right where you're at, the Bible says, for the, with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right where you're at, you can repent of your sins, and you can place your faith in Christ for salvation. You can declare that, and the Bible says that he will save you. And then for the rest of us, maybe you're going through some struggles, going through some difficulties. It's tough. It's tiring. It's hard. You want Jesus to just return and take you home today, be encouraged. He's not forgotten you. Be encouraged that his delay is not without a purpose, but his delay has great mercy and great purpose behind it. Maybe you won't know till you get to heaven. Maybe it's for your neighbor. Maybe it's for your coworker. Maybe it's for that family member. We don't know, but God never delays without a purpose. He's working and he has a plan. He has a purpose. Trust in that. Cling to that. He is a faithful God, and if he has made a promise, he will fulfill it. So let's pray, and whatever it is that God's speaking to your heart, take this moment to have a conversation with him before the band closes us out. God, 
Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth over these 29 weeks that we've learned, not only from these Christians who dealt with death and persecution and suffering and pressures to sin. God, I thank you that you have given us that truth for us because we face some of those same things. Some of those things in your grace you have spared us from having to experience, but we know there are Christians around the world experiencing them. Today, I pray that if there's one here that does not know you, that your spirit would speak to them, would open their eyes to see that you love them, to see that Jesus is Savior, He is Lord, that He is worthy of following, that we can place our faith and trust in Him. And so God, if there's one here today that's never placed their faith and trust in you, open their heart to understand the truth. That today as they are praying, maybe in this moment, that they would call out to you, that they would be saved. And that today they would be made brand new. Today would be the start of a new life. And then Father, if there's someone here that's been struggling or just, Lord, having a difficult time in that waiting period, thinking that you've delayed, thinking that you're absent. God, may they see through the truth of Peter and his letter that he wrote, even in Jesus's return, you are giving mercy to the lost. You are giving mercy to the mocker and to the sinner. And God, if you give mercy to them, how much more mercy will you give to your children? How much more purpose is behind your delay? And how much more mercy is behind your waiting? How much more purpose is there in the suffering, in the setback? Whatever it is, Father, we know that you work all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. We know that you're going to work those things for your glory, but for our good. May we cling to that promise. May we cling to your word because it is true from the Old Testament to the New Testament. May the Holy Spirit comfort us and help us in these difficult seasons to hold firm to your promises, to hold firm to your truth. I love you. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.